0: and let him create a revocable living trust for you. The cost, just $350 if you're single, $450 if you're married, and with each completed trust, you will get a gift certificate for $125 at Tropical Acres, South Florida's oldest and best steakhouse, plus a free living will. Call today at 1-877-ASK-ADAM. That's 1-877-275-2326. Tell them Steve Cain sent you. This is Health and Wealth Radio, AM 1470, WWNN Pompano Beach, and WKIS HD2, Boca Raton, Miami, Fort Lauderdale.
1: Hi, I'm Clint Black. Have you heard of Rett Syndrome? I hadn't until my niece Courtney was diagnosed. Rett syndrome is a neurological disorder which occurs mostly in girls. It's often misdiagnosed as autism or cerebral palsy. Rett Syndrome strikes without warning. A girl with Rett Syndrome starts out as a happy healthy baby until 6 or 18 months of age when something goes terribly wrong. She loses the ability to speak, use her hands to play with toys or even feed herself. She may also lose the ability to walk. A girl with Rett Syndrome makes constant hand washing or hand wringing movements. By the time she is 3 years old, a girl with Rett Syndrome is severely handicapped. The International Rett Syndrome Foundation hopes to find the families affected by this devastating disorder and provide care and research that will make a difference. Research is urgently needed to accelerate treatments and find a cure. Please call 1-800-818-7388 or visit RettSyndrome.org today. Your help is our
2: hope.
0: AM 1470 WNN with more of what you need to know. Tune in for No Bones About It with Dr. Alvin Stein, Tuesday mornings at 11 on South Florida's Health and Wealth Network, AM 1470 WNN. What you want to know. What you need to know. This is South Florida's Health and Wealth Radio, AM 1470 WNN. The opinions expressed on the following sponsored program are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of this station, its staff, management, or sponsors. Welcome to Best Stop Trafficking, your best voice, hosted by Linda Sullivan. Certified Master Coach for Victims of Human Trafficking In fact, BEST stands for Building Empowerment by Stopping Trafficking Specializing in aiding the victim to pursuing and
3: prosecuting
0: the trafficker And now,
3: here's Linda Hi, this is Linda Sullivan and I am here with my co-host, Etty Foodman Hello everyone And I'm also here with Northeastern intern for BEST, Sarah Solomon. Hello Well, that was chipper. (laughs) We want everybody to know that our call-in number today to speak to our esteemed guest is 888-565-1470. Before I introduce our guest, I'm going to ask Sarah to make a quick announcement for us.
4: Judge Mary San Pedro Inglésia has written a poignant memoir about strength and hope in the midst of tragedy. In April 2010, San Pedro Inglésia's husband of 20 years was diagnosed with head and neck cancer. Heroes Among Us was originally written as a way to cope with the overwhelming pain of this personal disaster. However, the memoir took shape into a story of how she found strength to be a supportive spouse and how her family became more unified through it all. San Pedro Inglésia hopes that her story can provide inspiration and hope to others living with cancer as well as their families. If you would like to buy Heroes Among Us, please message Best in our contact form at www.beststoptrafficking.org slash contact for details. All proceeds go to Cancer Research. Follow Heroes Among Us on Twitter at heroes underscore among underscore us and on Facebook by searching the Heroes Among Us.
3: Thank you, Sarah. The Florida Constitution vests the state attorney with the sole and sound discretion to conduct grand jury proceedings, perform criminal intake, and prosecute crimes committed against the people of the state of Florida. It is a task which requires good judgment, fairness, intelligence, and integrity. Your Best Voice radio show is pleased to have as our guest today Attorney Roderick Vereen. Candidate for the Office of State Attorney in Miami-Dade County for the 11th District. Mr. Vereen, how are you today?
2: I'm fine, Ms. Sullivan. How are you doing today? I
3: am fine. I am fine, and we are very pleased to have you on our show, and our listeners are going to be calling in at 888-565-1470 to speak with you, and I would like to start off. Is that all right? That's fine. Mr. Vereen, the qualities of an effective prosecutor were perhaps best stated by Justice Robert H. Jackson. The qualities of a good prosecutor are as elusive and as impossible to define as those which mark the gentleman, and those who need to be told would not understand it anyway. A sensitiveness to fair play. And sportsmanship is perhaps the best protection against the abuse of power. And the citizen's safety lies in the prosecutor who tempers zeal with human kindness, who seeks truth and not victims, who serves the law and not factional purposes, and who approaches his task with humility. Mr. Vereen, on August 14th, the voters are coming out to vote for the state attorney for Miami-Dade. Would you share with our listeners, please, your thoughts on whether or not those qualities are the benchmark for the office you seek and how you identify yourself with those qualities.
2: Well, first of all, again, let me thank you for having me on your show. And with regard to you know, the qualities of a prosecutor, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, my first job as an attorney was an assistant state attorney in the Second Judicial Circuit, which is up in Tallahassee, Florida. Under, under the guise of Willie Merritt, who was still the current state attorney, one thing that I learned being a prosecutor is that you have an enormous amount of power over individuals' lives, and the decisions you make can affect them for the rest of their lives. My chief at the time, Tim uh, Tim Harley, who is now a judge uh, in Tallahassee, was very protective of us us as attorneys but was very demanding with regard to how it was that we came to decisions about the prosecution of certain cases we had a lot of discretion but it was not unfettered discretion he would check us constantly to make sure that we were not abusing our position of power Um, because you know everybody comes from different walks of life and everybody has their own prejudices and biases with regard to individuals, with regard to uh, socioeconomic statuses of individuals, uh, the background, you know, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and you really never know how those affect you until you are put in a position of power. And, you know, there's no saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I agree that it does. And if it goes unchecked, then you will have, you know, tyrants You know, in, you know, the state attorney's office versus individuals that are seeking justice as opposed to victims. And one of the things that they would do with us is, in essence, put you through a test. And I became one of the, uh, individuals responsible for training new interns when they would come to the state attorney's office. And one of the things we would do is this. We would give you, say for instance, ten files. And we may break them down by sex or by race and make them equal, you know, uh, five may be black, five may be white, five may be women, five may be men, and ask you to come back with plea offers. And it may be something as simple as driving with a suspended driver's license. And we will see how you would or what pleas you would recommend that the state offer in these particular cases. And there was one young man that, that I recall and that came under my tutelage that was given 10 files and All of the cases were very similar with regard to the driving histories of the individuals. And on every single one of the cases where it dealt with a minority or African-American, he had an adjudication of guilt, even if it was the first time, and then for everyone that was not, Anglos, he would have a withhold of adjudication. And so when I walked in the next day and he presented the files to me, my duty at that time was to go to my boss, Present those cases to him and then he would bring in the, uh, the student or the intern and ask him to now defend his position with regard to each one of those cases. And it didn't dawn on him. At least that's what his excuse was. To say. It didn't dawn on him, uh, that, you know, when it came to minorities, he adjudicated everyone guilty. And everyone was, that was a non-minority got a withhold of adjudication. Those are the simple things that we are required to look at. I mean, they, you, you know, because, you know, it has an effect down the line if that goes unchecked. And so he had to learn to defend his position. And with some of the cases, you know, uh, you know, he may have had a legitimate excuse, but with others, he really didn't have a legitimate excuse. And so we would have sensitivity training. Um, in in Miami-Dade County, you know, Miami Dade County. There's a, there's a you know majority minority at this time, and a lot of the prosecutors do not necessarily represent. When you break it down, it does not represent the community in which they're governing. Um, and so, when you know you see cases being resolved, you know, and you look at the defendants, you know, and I can point to one, you know, that you know people were very upset at the fact that this NFL football player was involved in a vehicular homicide. Uh, who had a blood alcohol level of, of 0.08 or higher But he only did 23 days in jail because he was able to write the family a multi-million dollar check When anyone else and this was a minority when anyone else would who did not have the the, uh, the Financial wherewithal if you will or ability to write in five million dollar check would have been doing it at a minimum of four years in prison So that, those are kind of things that we do not like to see And the current state attorney says well We had a problem with the case and proven causation. Well, if you have a problem proving any element beyond a reasonable doubt, it's not by, you know, preponderance of the evidence or by clear, convincing evidence, when they when a, when a prosecutor presents a case to a jury, you're asking that that jury comes back and find beyond a reasonable doubt that those elements have been established. So as a state attorney looking at this case, you have to make a decision as to whether or not there's, you know, facie evidence to establish each one of those elements. If you know that you don't have that, then you know what you don't do. You do not charge that case, all right? But there was the a, a position here where I, I'm assuming, because I don't know what the inner workings or the inner thoughts were of the prosecutors uh, who presented the case or filed the information, but they knew they had him between a rock and a hard place by saying, "You can take this plea, okay, and pay this amount of money, or you can take your chances at trial." And if a jury comes back and finds you guilty, you're going to prison for at the minimum four years, and NFL career is over. So they had him in in one of these catch-22s between a rock and a hard place. All right? But then there are the situations where you can have an overzealous prosecutor. And recently there was a case, a a death penalty case, Wadada Dale Hall, Mm -hmm. that uh, was reversed by the Florida Supreme Court um, this month based on overzealous prosecution in the death phase of the case. They had gone to trial. They established that he committed the murder. And so now they were going to seek death. And during the death penalty phase of of the case, the prosecutor became overzealous. She kept uh, making statements about the mitigation that had been presented by the defense lawyer beyond what the law allows. And when the defense lawyer made objections, the objections were sustained. The judge admonished the prosecutor, says, you know, don't go down that line. Don't say that. And as soon as the judge finished say, saying, don't say that, she said it again. The judge admonished her again not to say that. And as soon as the judge Dennis, uh, finished admonishing her, she said it again. It was so bad that when, you know, when the, the, the jury came back 8-4 to four in favor of death, the defense lawyers took, the, took an appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court of the State of Florida. And the oral argument is actually videotaped and is online. And one of the things that the Supreme Court justice said, and this is Justice Labarga, he said, you know that he was appalled at the number of times that this prosecutor has completely you know uh, 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 you know just you know carelessly, you know uh, disregarded the, the judges admonishment with regard to her conduct and said that it appears that she was going to seek death instead of justice no matter what was said to her by the court and then the judge said, the justice inquired of the attorney general who was arguing the case, is this a seasoned prosecutor? And let me just tell you, she is. She has been in the office as long as Kathy Rundle. And said, well, what do we need to do to stop her from engaging in this type of conduct? Do we need to refer this to the Florida bars? Is this is a bar matter. And then the, the assistant attorney general says, well, judge, you know, you handle it the way you handle it, but, you know, as far, far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, you know, Although she was overzealous, you know, it didn't rise to the level that this case needs to be reversed. The Supreme Court disagreed with her, and they reversed it. There's been another reversal very recently, and I, can, I cannot cite the case right now, uh, but it was brought to my attention yesterday that there was another case that was coming down the pipeline where it was also reversed based on prosecutorial misconduct. Now... That is not to say that this prosecutor is a bad prosecutor because I know a person, you know, and I think she's an excellent prosecutor, but sometimes you get so caught up emotionally in cases that you lose your focus. And you do, and you do try to seek, you know, uh, 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 vengeance instead of justice. You want this person to pay no matter what, and you sometimes let your mouth get away from your brain. And so, you know, the state attorney has to be able to will this person back in, you know, bring them back into, you know, what is legitimate and, and proper in a closing argument and, and in trial and what is not. Because the last thing you want to do is send somebody, you know, to to, you know, to death when, you know, and, and not do it, you know, according to the Constitution and the laws of the state of
3: Florida. Fantastic. So, Mr. Vereen. You know, we are starting to get some callers in, and I want to ask you one quick question before I start to take these calls. Would you sure. te- would you elaborate a little bit further on what you have just said by telling my listeners, okay, how as your experience through the assistant state attorney's office, how would you lead the state attorney's office if you are elected?
2: Sure. Well, there are a number of problems uh, that I've recognized with the state attorney's office, um, and you know they say leadership starts from the top. As an as an assistant state the as state attorney. You know, one I love the courtroom. I love being in the courtroom. I love, you know, you know, because I think I've been in the courtroom. One, you stay on top of the law. Okay, and the changes in law and law changes every single day. Okay, while the statutes may not, you know, things that are permissible and impermissible according to the Supreme Court practically changes almost every day. And so you have to be in the courtroom to be on top of things and to make sure that your assistants are seeking justice, not just justice for the community, but also justice for the victims, and also making sure that a person who has been charged receives a fair trial. Okay? And that's what we're looking for. Prosecutors that walk in and make sure that they defend the constitution in the state of you know, the state of Florida and the United States by making sure that any individual that comes to the state attorney's office is gonna get their day in court. Okay, if you're guilty then you know you, you, you negotiate a uh you know a plea if you can to save yourself some time. If you want to roll the dice and, and 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 see whether or not the state can prove you guilty, but well, that's what the state is there for. We don't bring a case unless we can absolutely prove that you're guilty. But then it's you know it's up to a jury to decide whether or not the state has proven his case. Um, you know, my job if I get into the state attorney's office is to make sure I have the best of the best. And I know it's very hard to keep good state attorneys because of the amount of money that they get, they get paid, you know. You know, you got lawyers that know they're worth a lot more than they get paid, but you try to find individuals that, you know, really are truly concerned about being uh, prosecutors and, you know, making Miami-Dade County a safer place as it can be.
3: Fantastic. We have Paul on the line. Um, Paul, would you shoot your question at us, and we will let Mr. Vereen answer it for you.
2: Thanks. Hi, Roger. In How you In sexual trafficking, it's important that victims are protected and have lawyers, which is not normally what prosecutors prefer. But if you are elected a state attorney, will you look at the situation to make sure everyone works together to get tra- the trafficker while allowing the victim to be protected? Let me just say this to you, Paul, and that's a good question. I appreciate it. The miami let me just say this, the whole system over there right now on both sides the prosecution of these cases, the defense of these cases, it is a, you know when it comes to sexual offenders in Miami-Dade County that whole system is a mess um, I'm not sure if you're aware uh, but there are a lot of individuals that are currently sitting at the Florida Civil Commitment Center we call those the Jimmy Rice cases, the sexual predator cases who have been convicted of sexual, violent offenses and have been sentenced to prison as far as you know, 25, 30 years ago. That have served their time and they're now sitting at the Florida Civil Commitment Center, waiting on a trial. Okay. Now the law says that they're entitled to a trial within 30 days um, of being civilly committed. Okay. When I say civilly committed, being detained for purposes of civil commitment. Let me let me make that clear again. After well, six months before a person is released. The state of Florida, through the Department of Children and Families, has to evaluate that individual to make sh- to see whether or not that individual qualifies under certain criteria to be classified as a sexual violent predator. Okay, if the state uh, uh, doctors, okay, uh, their, their team of doctors make an evaluation and a determination that this person qualifies, then it is referred back to the state attorney's office. They file a civil petition to commit that person, and then within, within 30 days, that person is entitled to a civil trial to see whether or not they should be released or whether or not they should be detained for further treatment, okay? Um, and let me just say this. There are, there, are over, there are over 100 individuals that are sitting there that have not had their date in court yet, and they have gotten so backed up that the Supreme Court had a literally ordered the state of Florida to try these individuals. I'm saying that because one of the things that uh, the regional counsel's office came to me uh, a few years ago, Bob, I guess it's been maybe a year, a year, year and a half ago, two years ago, and inquired as to whether or not, uh, let me back up, there was a civil will. There's a will for lawyers who, in essence, were vetted for purposes of handling these cases because those are civil cases that are tried in the criminal courtrooms. And they, they it is still such a mess that that the state of Florida, the Supreme Court, believe that these individuals' rights are being, you know, trampled upon by the state of Florida because they have not had their day in court. And this is all over all 67 counties. And so we've been trying to get lawyers to go ahead and try these cases. I've tried some myself with regard to making sure that these people are either committed to further treatment, or if the doctors come back and say they're not in the state that they've been evaluated, some of these individuals, the state's doctors, and says that these three people no longer qualify, they no uh, no longer qualify as sexually violent predators and they've been uh, if you will, uh, released. Sex trafficking, as you know, is a major problem in, in in the state of Florida. Uh recently there was a case in Broward County, a gentleman by the name of Mosey, uh for lack of a better term of calling him a gentleman, mm-hmm. by the name of Mosey was sentenced to nine Life sentences and one sentence of 30 years based on the fact that he was uh, trafficking and pimping out girls between the ages of 13 and 17. Jeff Demetrius, uh, Demetrius, sentenced him in, in federal court, so he'll never walk the streets again. He had his wife involved, I believe she got 13 years uh, in prison, and his son was involved. All right, uh, you know, you've recently seen uh... maybe you have, maybe you haven't that in Miami-Dade County, I think there were four cases brought against um, uh, individuals in foster care, um, who were foster parents and they were, you know, pimping out these young girls, uh, doing the same thing. It's a problem. It is a problem. There's an overhaul that needs to be done. Okay. Uh, in Miami-Dade County, you know, we have sexual offenders who are living up under the bridge and I'm going to tell you personally, I do not think that makes Miami-Dade County safe. All right. Um, uh, we have to find a, a better way of dealing with sexual offenders uh, making sure they get, you know, tried as, as expeditiously as the statutes allow. Those that are convicted, make sure to put away. And let, let me just tell you this. You know, the problem that a lot of folks have is that these folks get out and they're back on the streets again. And listen, you know, I think that you need to get with the legislators and say, listen, if a person does this to a child, then you need to make it a mandatory life sentence, okay? Because if you do that, Then those that are engaging in that type of conduct know what's going to happen. It's almost as if you commit first to be murdered. You know what's going to happen. You're either going to do life in prison or you're going to do, uh, 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 or you're going to get the death penalty. Folks are engaging in this this type of conduct without the fear that they'll do a life sentence. Okay? Unless they're in federal court. Because I can tell you almost every federal case I've had where, or seen where a person has committed you know, uh, 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 LNL and lunacy misconduct and raping of a minor, they've gotten life in prison. Okay? Uh, but when you're in the state system, I've seen, you know, when it's uh, familial contact, you know, that these people aren't going to prison for life. They'll get, you know, 10, 15 years, or some have even gotten probation in these type of cases. You know, and the victims therefore don't feel like they're being protected, you know, protected, and, and therefore they don't feel the need to want to come out and speak about it. Because, you know, all, you know you, we know how children are, and when they are victims of this type of abuse, they very rarely speak out on it. And so we need more of that. Okay, but I will want, you know, in order to make this, you know, this community safe, is that you gotta find a way to get the, get the, the community to understand that if you gauge in sexual battery on a minor, okay, that you can best believe you will be doing the rest of your life in prison. But that's not going to happen unless you got judges who want to enforce the law like that, prosecutors that go in there demand these type of sentences. But all too often, what you have are family members of the victim that want to come out and say, "Listen, I don't want to put my child on the stand after we live this, so therefore, I'm agreeable to you know probation. I'm agreeable to five years. I'm agreeable to ten years." And I think that's where the problems lie,
3: Mr. Vereen. We have another question for you. Eddie, you have a question. Yes, I do. Uh, Mr. Marine Senator Sachs was on the Best Voice radio show and had the following to say about DCF. She said, How many more children need to be injured or affected for the rest of their lives or killed while in foster care? So absolutely, if these allegations are shown to be true, then I think there should be an investigation going on right now, and I hope there is. Mr. Vereen, if you were elected state attorney, how would you approach this DCF situation and those that continually partner with and endorse DCF?
2: Let me tell you, I was, um, of course, around when Aurelia Wilson disappeared. And today, of course, you know they still haven't found a body. Um, there, undoubtedly, a problem with DCF. Uh, Frederica Wilson, uh, uh, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, and I sat down and we discussed you know issues concerning that and one of the things that she did when she was Senator Wilson she uh, came in, came uh, with the Aurelia Wilson Act that required DCF to check on these kids every 30 days now whether or not that's occurring or not I don't know because there's as far as I know there's, there's no other than looking at the logs there's no you know there's no uh, as, as you will a a checklist to make sure that this is in fact occurring you know uh, it takes better officers that are working with DCF, okay, I think, you know, there needs to be a complete overhaul, to be honest with you. There needs to be a complete overhaul. And, you know, my thing is, that if I was a state attorney, and I don't know how many cases there are right now pending with DCF where kids have been abused as a result of being in foster care, but we all know that foster care is a big problem. I don't know, the, I don't know whether or not they're constantly checking these individuals to see what their backgrounds are, whether or not, you know, because they're qualified as a, as a uh, for, uh, foster care whether or not they committed any crimes since then that will disqualify them from foster care, whether or not anybody's going and checking the quality of the of the living conditions that these children are living in, whether or not these officers are sitting down on a one on one basis and making sure that these kids have not been abused. Because sometimes it may require that you you know that these counselors sit down with these boys and girls to ask them, you know, in a in a one on one setting, have has anything occurred you know, that they feel that, you know, was improper, have any, have any comments been made to them by the foster parents that make them feel that they're in danger. Um, that's one of the things I'll be concerned with because I'm not, you know, listen, we have, we have to protect these kids, especially those that no longer have the uh, protection of the their family members, of their, the parents, for whatever reason. I don't know if the parents are in jail or parents are deceased, whatever caused them to go into foster care. We know that a lot of these kids, and let me just say this, I used to work, with a uh, uh, a runaway facility in Tallahassee called someplace else that dealt with a lot of kids that were runaway that had been in foster care and had been abused and had been taken out of foster care and they were at this shelter until they could be uh, replaced uh, placed again in some other you know safe form of foster care and so I know that the problems occurred and a lot of these girls you know were very promiscuous as a result of what had taken place with them in foster care. So I'm not blind to the situation. We have to, you know, we have to make sure that these kids are being protected, and uh, prosecute those that are involved in, you know, in misconduct concerning these kids. You know, a lot of people, you know, uh, believe that individuals get, in, get involved in foster care for that check that they get from the state, and they're really not concerned with the well-being of those kids. They look at them as a form of welfare, and so you know, we have to make sure that those people are vetted and, you know, replaced if that's the situation. If we find anybody involved in, you know, abusing these kids, make sure they're prosecuted and that they no longer are foster care parents. And just, you know, change, you know, the, uh, the, the quality of contact that the foster care um, officers are having. Not the foster care officers, but the, uh, the officers with DCF are having with these kids.
3: Mr. Vereen, this is Linda. I'd like to ask you, what policies would you like to put in place to avoid premature arrests?
2: premature arrest with regard to the ju- anybody?
3: Yes, we'll start with juveniles and then hit anybody.
2: Well, it, 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 one of the things that had been occurring with, with the juvenile system, and recently Dr. Bendross Mindigal, who sits on the Miami-Dade County School Board, appointed me to sit in her stead on the ad hoc committee concerning uh, student, the student conduct, code of conduct and truancy. Um, one of the things that has been happening is that there has been a a large number of kids being uh, suspended from school because of truancy which then leads to these kids being uh, uh, what should I say un, un, uh, supervised while the parents are at work you know you recall the situation with Trayvon Martin yes mm-hmm. uh, here he was suspended from school so they took the kid who they believed they had committed misconduct in school suspended him and now he has no parent looking over him during these days of suspension. And then of course he's away from Miami-Dade County. He's up in Sanford and he gets killed. And one of the things I I spoke to the, to the, to the,